Good morning. I thought we would continue from uh, the subject that we were talking on last week, uh, Lessons from the Life of David. And today we will look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And we'll go down this chapter and we'll pick out some lessons here and there from the chapter. So I'll ask Dean, please, uh, to read for us the first 14 verses. 1 Chronicles 22. First Chronicles 22, beginning at verse 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails for the doors of the gates and for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance, for the Zidonians and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon my son is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries, and I will therefore now make preparation for it. For David prepared abundantly before his death. Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build an house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon." And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build an house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then thou shalt prosper, if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage, dread not, nor be dismayed. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold, and a thousand thousand talents of silver, and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone I have prepared, that thou mayest add thereto. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Dean. In the previous chapter, David purchased the site where the temple was going to be built for God. And he purchased it from on and the Jebusite. And now it was all systems go, a preparation 
was beginning for the temple. And in this chapter, he begins to gather or muster all the men and the material, and then he gives instructions to Solomon how he should go forth. So I'd just like to go down from verse 1, and then we'll pick some lessons uh, from these verses. Now, before we look at verse 1, I want you to understand one thing. When a king ascended the throne in Israel, he was meant to fully know the law. And so this is how they did it in the old days. Let's read two verses in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verses 18 and 19. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 18 and 19. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. So what a king had to do is, in his own handwriting, he had to write out personally a copy of the book of the law. And then throughout his life, he had to read from his own handwriting the copy of the law. Imagine that if your elders were to ask you, write out in your own handwriting the Bible and then uh, follow it day and night. Well, that's what the kings had to do in those days. Personally, write out a copy of the book of the law. And all the days of his life, he would have been reading God's law. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is, frequently, when he would have been reading the law, he would have understood that God wanted to have a place of his own, his habitation, or his temple, where he could put his name there, and that this would be the house of God. And so, in the previous chapter, well, the opportunity presented itself, and he purchased the threshing floor, of on and the Jebusite. Now, in verse 1 here, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 1, David says, This is the house of the Lord God. This is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. This is the house of the Lord God. Now, think about this. As David surveyed this threshing floor, uh, all the agricultural instruments had been removed and uh, the smoke and the sacrifice that would have been filling the air from the sacrifice that had just been made. And here, David was saying that this is the house of the Lord God. Nothing had been built yet. There was nothing on that location. Not one stone had been laid. Not one workman had appeared on the site. No priest had relocated from Gibeon. And yet, David saw it all as an accomplished fact. How is it that he knew that this is the house of God? Nothing was there. You see, <clears throat> it is reminiscent of what happened to Jacob when he looked across a barren, rock-strewn land and he said, this is none other but the house of God. 
There was nothing in that location. Have a look at that verse, Genesis 28 and verse 17. And he was afraid, this is Jacob, and he said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And if you look at verse 16, Genesis 28, 16, what is it that made this the house of God? How did he know that this was the house of God? Well, it was divine presence that made it the house of God. Surely, the Lord is in this place. Now, why is it that David called this particular location the house of the Lord God? Well, it is because this is the place where he met God. Now, it doesn't say so in this verse, but it does tell us in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father. So the Lord had appeared unto David in this place, and David knew that this was the place where it was going to be the house of God. Then I want you to notice next, in verse 2, David commanded to gather together the strangers, the strangers. Now, in many societies, there is an underclass of foreigners who are prepared to carry out the tasks that the locals won't do. Uh, for example, sometimes I pass through the Middle East in places like Dubai. I see that uh, there is a huge amount of workers that come from other lands, and they are there to do work that the locals will not do. And it appears that this was the case in David's kingdom. There were these strangers that were in the land, and they were a residue of the conquered tribes that were still in the land. They were not the children of Israel. And now, these strangers, they were going to be expected to help in the building of the temple. These people who were not citizens, they were going to be co-opted in. Now, doubtless there would have been hard work, menial work, back-breaking work. And out of these strangers that were in the land, there would have been some who had been happy to do this hard work. Happy to do it. You see, there would have been those who felt privileged to play a minor role in such a prestigious activity. It was for God. It was to promote his honor that this temple was going to be built. And it was a with a view to perpetuating worship for God. And so they were prepared and they were pleased to do it. So here's the lesson. Sometimes we also sidestep uh, necessary but unglamorous aspects of the work of God. We don't like to do it. Nothing spectacular and, you know, we would rather take a back seat. But, you know, uh, for example, Epaphroditus, nothing spectacular in what he was doing for God, trekking hundreds of miles across bandit territory as a courier for the church at Philippi. 
but he was willing to do it because it was for God, because it was to build God's kingdom. He was willing to do it. We also may be asked upon to do some unglamorous work in God's service sometimes. We will also be asked to do sometimes things that we don't want to do. If Aphrodite is, well, he was immortalized in scripture. Still, we are talking about him today, even though he was doing a menial job as a courier. When you are asked to do something for God, even though it may not seem a glamorous or it may seem a menial task, let us do it with enthusiasm, with happiness. May you be one of the few of these strangers in the land who were happy to do, be involved in this work for God. Then I want you to notice that there was another group uh, of people that were working on this project in verse 2. And he set masons to hew wrought stones. Now, uh, these masons would have uh, had to work hard on shaping these stones. These were stones that would have been brought from a quarry, and then there on the site, they would have been uh, hewn or shaped to what uh, the stones, the shape that they should have taken. They would have had to cut them to size, sculpt them to shape, make them suitable for the house of God. Now, there's a picture here that I would like us to see as our next lesson. It talks about stones. Now, you know that we were all once sinners, and one day we were called out, we were saved, and we were brought out in our service for God. And God has since then been doing an ongoing work in our life. And he is shaping us morally. He is shaping us spiritually according to his own purpose. And for that, he uses various people to help shape these stones. Now here in this portion, we notice that he used masons. Nowadays, he uses your elders and those who are discipling you to help shape you how you should be. But you too are a stone that is being shaped and molded and one day you will come to a good place where you fit exactly into the house of God and be, can be used greatly for his service. Now while we are talking about David here and while we are talking about stones, I'm sure you remember this particular instance in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 40, when David had another use for some stones, five stones. I don't think I need to tell you the story. You know what those five stones were used for. But do you notice in the verse that it says five smooth stones? Smooth stones. You see, what happens is, when we are saved, we are rough stones. And then God uses us uh, and he uses various instances in our lives to shape us, to, how, to mold us to how he wants us to be. When we are under some running water or various things in life, we become smoother and smoother. Trials of life, we are shaped into place. 
God uses stones, smooth stones. He uses stones with aberrations removed by the constant flow of the water. Uh, on occasions, he allows circumstances, uh, agitations uh, to remove all the disagreeable traits in our life, from our life, and makes us smooth stones that are usable in his hands. So, David was starting to build the temple, but these stones had to be shaped by the masons. We are stones that God is constantly using and trying to shape in our service for him. Now, I want you also to notice next, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 7, it tells us this. And the house, when it was in building, was built of stone made ready before it was brought thither, so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was being built. As far as the temple was concerned, the masons were working off-site. The masons did not work on-site when they were hewing the stones for the temple of God. Why was this? Because as far as possible, noise, dust, rubble, they wanted it distance from the house of God, from the temple of God. Here's the lesson. Dignity, decorum, were features of the whole enterprise, and this must also characterize any activity for God that we are involved in. Dignity, decorum, everything must be done decently and in order. There was no noise, no shouting, nothing when the house of God was being built. And similarly, when we are also involved in a work for God, let us make sure that there is a great amount of respect, decorum, dignity, whatever it is involved when we also serve God. Then I want you to notice next uh, in verse 3, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 3, and it said, David prepared. David prepared. Some of the materials are mentioned, how he prepared, but he had to be prepared to serve God. If you want to serve God, groundwork has to be done acceptably. You can't just come and expect to haphazardly serve God. Engage with forethought rather than afterthought. Plan well ahead whatever you are going to do for God. Pray. Put thought into it. Do you know that when Abraham had to make preparation, when he wanted to entertain the Lord, he had to make preparation. He put thought into it. Make ready. He made ready. Remember the women who anticipated the embalming of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 23, and verse 56, it tells us that they also made preparation. And they returned and prepared. David prepared, these women prepared spices, ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. They made preparation. Let us avoid being haphazard or ill-prepared. 
for any activity of God. Then I want you to notice next that in verse 3, it tells us that how did David prepare? It uses the words in abundance. In abundance. You'll see there in verse 3. We must have the attitude of, in the previous chapter, we read about Onan and how he gave the threshing floor to be used for the temple. It tells us these words. Onan said, I give it all. I give it all. That's how he wanted to do his bit for God. He was willing to give it all. David prepared in abundance. Not, no loose change for him. No, in abundance. Quantity wasn't going to be a problem. Our God is a God who giveth to all men liberally, the Bible tells us in James. And David was one of those, you see, the man who called upon his own soul to bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. That's what David said in the Psalms, isn't it? And because he was a recipient of such divine bounty. He never forgot it. And he was now proving to be a liberal benefactor himself. He was wanting to give bountifully to God. And so what did he do when he prepared? He prepared in abundance. He made sure there was plenty there for the preparation of the building of the temple. Then the next lesson I want you to notice is also found there in verse number three. One of the things that he prepared in abundance, it tells us, for the nails. Do you notice that word in verse three? Nails. Now, I told you last week that God always gives attention to detail. Even the smallest things, God likes it to have detail. He likes to have it prepared. Pins, hooks, fillets, all get a mention in connection with the building of the tabernacle. And isn't it amazing that something as small as a nail is mentioned? Isn't that amazing? I mean, this huge, beautiful temple and even a nail is mentioned. That really, really touched me. How much detail that God goes into. Such is the precision of divine arrangements that, you know, sometimes we are tempted to uh, make even minor changes or adjustments to the pattern that God has given for us, whether it's in our lives uh, on a personal level or on a family level or even at our church level. Sometimes we want to make some changes. We, we think this can be done better. Our thoughts... But, you know, God who goes into the detail and even he specifies the nails, he wants things done his way, not our way. Every nail would have gone on to add strength into that structure. Every nail in every door, for example, would have contributed to the solidity of the temple. Now, there's an ancient proverbial rhyme that puts it this way about the importance of the nail. Bear with me as I tell this to you. For the want of a nail, a shoe was lost. A horseshoe, that is. 
And for the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. And for the want of a horse, the rider was lost. For the want of a rider, the battle was lost. For the want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. You see how important a nail is? It can have great implications. A battle, a kingdom, everything can be lost if that one nail is missing from the horseshoe. And in the same way, God wants every nail in place in his house. He has a purpose for everything. So, my brother, my sister, give attention to detail for the God whom we love and serve. He is exact in all his arrangements. Don't do anything where you would come and serve in a haphazard way without any thought or anything like that. Put great thought, prayer into whatever activity that you do for God. Then I want you to notice also <clears throat> found in verse 4 that about the cedar tree, the cedar tree. Now, uh, there were innumerable trees that were provided because it tells us in abundance. But there is an emphasis here as to not quantity, but quality. The reason is, these were cedar trees, and these trees are the most desirable growing trees in the Middle East. You see, only the best would do for God. That's the lesson. Only cedar trees were used in the construction of the temple. The very best trees available in the Middle East. When you also are doing something for God, when you're building the church, use the very best for God. Don't give second-hand, half-hearted resources of your time, of your energy. Give it all for God. Give Him first place. He demands the best, and we need to give it to Him. And then, not only was there an abundance of the best materials provided, but I also want you to notice that the very best men were used. Because if you notice in the same verse, it says, for the Zidians, and they were of Tyre. Now, men with the ability to handle these trees, or good carpenters, were employed. You see, the Zidians, they were not local people. They were from Tyre. So that tells me, that the local men did not have the expertise with these trees and with the woodwork needed for the temple of God. And so they brought down these men from Tyre to be used in the temple for God. Not only was the very best materials used, but the best workmanship was employed. This was for God. 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 6. 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 6. You'll see Lebanon is mentioned here. Uh, now therefore command thou that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and my servants shall be with thy servants. Uh, and then the last sentence, any that can skill to hew, uh, hew timber, 
like unto the Zidians. They were the best when it came to hewing these cedar trees. And so they were brought down all the way from Tyre to use in the temple for God. Only, not only the very best materials, but also the best workmen were also used for the temple of God. Then I would like us to move on next to verse 5. And uh, here David says, he's talking to Solomon, and he says that Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is for builded is for the Lord. Now, David, in this verse, he is acknowledging the fact that he will not be involved in the building of the temple. Now, here there is uh, a very big lesson for all of us here. There are aspects of service that we will never be directly involved with. And it is so important for us to support those who are going to be doing the work. David, even though it was on his heart, he wanted to do it. He was called to do it, he felt. But God did not plan for him to do it. Why was that? Well, if you see in verse 8, it tells there, that because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight, David was a man of war. A man of war, God decided, could not build the temple. He was going to use Solomon, his son, to build the temple. So there are going to be aspects of service that you and I may never get involved in, even though we want to. And we have to be satisfied because God decides who he wants to serve him for whichever aspect of service. And we simply have to accept it. We will, there are many of us that will be known as helpers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not be the ones who are called to lead and to build the temple or to do the main part. We may be those who are the helpers, but let us be satisfied and happy with that. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 3, Paul refers to Priscilla and Aquila as my helpers in Christ Jesus. Many of us fall into that category. We are helpers. Let us be happy that we are helpers in the service for God. So David, it was a great testimony that uh, without a shred of jealousy, he was determined to do the maximum to take this project forward. He was willing to help Solomon to the maximum of his effort, prepare everything, uh, all that, even though he would never personally be involved in the construction of the temple. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we also could see that we, not all of us will be used to do the glamorous things, but let us also be satisfied to be helpers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is the thing that motivated David to even take on a small job like being a helper, doing all the preparation work? Why was he satisfied? Why should we be satisfied to be a helper for the Lord Jesus Christ? The reason is in verse 5, David, there are three words there I want you to notice in verse 5. 
because it was for the Lord. For the Lord. Everything that he was doing, he was not doing it for his own glory, to help his family, to uh, enlarge himself. No. It was for the Lord. And hence must be exceeding magnificial. Uh, and the majesty of this building would be spoken of universally. Fame and glory throughout all the countries. Glory would be brought to the name of the Lord. So David was happy for it, for him to be a helper. The same way, here is the lesson for us. It would be wonderful if we too could grasp the majesty of the work that we are associated with here. It is for the Lord what is all being done here in this church. There is a grandeur about the gospel that we seek to promote and bring others to know him. And there is a great dignity about this work that we are doing. And it is all for the Lord. Amen. So let us all be thankful. Let us be happy. Let us be joyful that we have an opportunity to serve as helpers. And not only is it for the Lord, what you are doing, but it's also for the sake of the testimony. Now you see that David says here, because the glory of it and the fame will spread through all the countries. You also must realize that what you are doing here is not only for the Lord, but it is for the sake of the testimony. May the contribution of the work of God in this neighborhood, may it enhance the reputation of God. May it bring others to trust in God. Because people do hear, people do observe whatever you are doing. And if you also can grasp the importance of that, you also will be greatly blessed as you serve God. Then I want you to notice next that David prepared abundantly and it tells us that before his death, before his death, very likely these were the last days of his life. And therefore, this task, he gave it his undivided attention. Now, you know our time here on earth is short. Its time is just flying by. It's going through very, very quickly. And there are there is no retirement in the things of God. There is no retirement. David understood that. Uh, in Philemon, verse 9, uh, you will see these words where... Paul, you know, he did great service for God, but it calls him Paul the aged. Even when he was an old man, he was serving God. No retirement. You see the example that you have here, Adel, Sylvia, and several others. No retirement in the work of God. Can go on serving until God takes the last breath away from your body. And may you also have that same willpower. Don't give up. Don't think now I can sit back, you know, I'm now getting drawing on my pension or whatever it is. Uh, I'm a pensioner, I can take it easy. No. Continue serving God in whatever way you can, right until your last day. And David did that. He continued until the very time that he was taken away from this world. And then... Uh, our period of service is so limited. You know, we have not much 
um, time left to serve God. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, it says this, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Very soon, time will be gone by and we will not have that opportunity to serve God. While you are able, please do so. I see that my time has gone and I've only got five verses. Uh, so I'll call it a day because it's, it'll take me much longer to go through the balanced verses. But uh, we will just go through the main points in the last uh, three minutes that I have left. So we remember that we saw that David or any king had to write a copy of the law in their own handwriting and they had to read it all the days of their life. So David would have memorized in his mind and he knew that what God wanted to, ex to establish a place for himself. And there it was, just a bare land. But David said, this is the house of God. How did he know that? Because the presence of God is what makes it the house of God. God appeared to him in that land. And then uh, remember the lesson of the strangers. Even though they were strangers, there were some who were happy to be involved in that important, prestigious activity of building the temple. You also be happy if you are involved in any aspect of service for God. Then remember the stones, how God hews the stones. We are rough stones and then he is making us into smooth stones. How he shapes us in, for use in his service, just like these stones were used in the temple. There is an ongoing work of God in our lives. Remember that these stones and all were hewn off sight because any work for God should have decorum, dignity, no noise, no shouting. Things for God must be done decently and in order. Remember how, the next lesson, how David prepared. We also must prepare for our service for God with forethought, not afterthought. Just like those ladies, they went away and prepared to, with the spices uh, to come to the Lord. And then remember also that uh, David gave liberally in this service. God had been a blessing to him, so he prepared in abundance. And then remember that God is a God of detail. And so in our own lives also, we must not make any adjustments from the pattern that is given in the Bible, whether it's our personal life, family life, church life. God is a God of detail. Every little nail even is mentioned there in the Bible. And you remember the rhythm or the rhyme that I gave you about without one nail, it can cause a whole uh, kingdom or a battle to be lost. And then remember that in the service for God, only the very best would do. Cedar trees from Lebanon, the best of the best was used for God. And then not only the best material, but the best workmen were used for God. They were brought all the way from Tyre because these Zidianites, they were the ones who knew how to handle the cedar trees. Let us also give our best for God. Uh, and then I would like you to remember the lesson of helpers. There were many helpers in the service for God. David was never going to be the one who finished the project, but he wasn't jealous about it. He was willing to be a help, just like Priscilla and Aquila 
help us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a shred of jealousy in David's part doing all the menial preparation work. And then remember that it was for the Lord. Amen. For the Lord. Because it was for the Lord, he was willing to even take second place. Let us also remember that the work that we are involved in here is for the Lord. So let us give the best of our time, the best of our efforts, best of everything that it's going to be for the Lord. And anything that we are doing for the Lord, well, it must be exceedingly magnificent. Because why? People all around the far countries were going to see the temple. People all around this area are going to be watching you. And so you also must do it for the sake of the testimony so that there is a very good testimony there for God. And then finally, he did it before his death. Until the very last day, he was willing to do it in his service for God. No retirement. Continue until the last moment God gives you breath. Continue serving God. Let's close in prayer. Dean, do you mind uh, closing in prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our dear brother Rajiv coming all the way over from Sri Lanka to share the word with us. We thank you for laying this message on his heart. We thank you for your servant, David. We thank you for all that he did. He fought many wars. He battled for you. He did all those things. And then before he died, Lord, he made preparations for the house of God. He knew how magnificent and special it was going to be. He knew how responsible his son Solomon was going to be. And he encouraged him spiritually as well as physically and emotionally and mentally for the task at hand. Lord, help us to be your servants, to serve willingly, to serve faithfully all the way till the end. Help us to be humble, Lord, and to think of others and to give others preference above ourselves and be willing to do whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to do it, Lord. Help us to be your children, to be your servants. We pray you'll be with our brother Rajiv and with our sister Sandrine. Please take them home safely and along with Nathan and Kezia, Lord. Please bless the work back in Sri Lanka in Colombo and all through the country. Pray that souls will be saved there and that the believers will be taught and encouraged and strengthened there. And bless the work here in our valley, Lord, that we'll see souls saved and believers encouraged. And so we thank you, Lord, and pray you'll dismiss us with your blessing. Take us home safely. Help us to rejoice in all that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.